0: back everybody my name is Natalie and I'm Anna and this is a Shakespearean Midsummer Nights podcast where two recently um graduated high school girls ramble about Shakespeare for like 45 minutes and you listen because apparently that's your
1: idea of fun mm-hmm. like it's fun for us but like it's fun for us we love rambling about this but um if you like listening we'll just keep recording you know what actually we're just gonna keep recording either way we're bored we are bored also,
0: a uh, forewarning for all of our episodes, these while there is some root in evidence from the text and our own th- and own productions that we have seen before, this is our own opinions. We cannot say that it is 100% factual. We cannot say that it is the representation of Shakespearean scholars from all over the world.
1: It is literally us rambling. It's kind of based on certain things that we've learned in class between AP Lang, AP Lit, and Shakespeare class. But it's just mostly us being um, insane? Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, Slightly eccentric. That's better. Okay. So for today, we are doing Grandpa King, a.k.a. King Lear.
0: King Lear. This is actually one of my favorite tragedies. Probably... It was one of the first tragedies I saw. Because, like, there's Romeo and Juliet, but that's, like, a tragic comedy. So, but this is, like, my full tragedy tragedy that I've ever seen. And I do love it a lot. I
1: wrote a whole paper on it. It's, it's my baby. It is my baby. Yeah, it is your child. I love it so much. I also wrote a paper on uh, King Lear. But it was comparing King Lear to Othello and just comparing the villains. But, no, Natalie went out, wrote a whole essay about King Lear. And it was really good. It was so There's good. A lot going on. It was a there. really good essay. I am so proud of that essay. Uh, and then it took my teacher seven months to grade it. Natalie, we should have a bonus episode where you literally just read the essay out loud. <laughs> no. <Nah. Yeah. laughs> I mean,
0: I. You have it and in trust front me, of you. She will be referenced today. I do have oh it in front God. of me. I am looking at it right now. Okay. Well, let's get started for real. To start off, a summary. The play starts with King Lear, the King of England, is now extremely lazy and he doesn't want to run his kingdom anymore, but he still wants to be the most powerful person in all the land. So he decides that he's going to have his daughters argue on who loves him the most because that is the best way to solve family problems. So, he goes to each of his daughters and says, how much do you love me? And depending on how much they say they love him, that is how much of the kingdom they get. And he's expecting to d- divide it like third a third a third. But when he comes to his youngest and favorite daughter Cordelia, she straight up refuses to lie to him and says, no, I won't just flatter you for flattery's sake. You know I love you, but I'm not gonna lie like my older sister Goneril and my older sister Regan. Lear does not have that and banishes Cordelia. And then when his um, advisor, the Earl of Kent, tries to argue with him, he banishes Kent, so the two rational people in his life are now gone and he is left in the care of his two daughters, Goneril and Regan. Meanwhile, Edmund is the bastard son of Gloucester and he frames his legitimate brother Edgar as a murderous person trying to kill their father, which allows Edmund to gain favor and become heir while Edgar has to disguise himself for protection. So Lear is living between Goneril and Regan's homes, but they scorn him and they strip him of his troops and they completely lock and out and disrespect their father. They lock him outside in a storm with only his fool and the disguised Kent to protect him and be with him. As they are running around through, like, the literal English countryside, they come across Edgar, who is now disguised as the crazy beggar, poor Tom. And after Edmund learns that Gloucester has tried to help the king, he betrays his father to the sisters and becomes the new Earl of Gloucester. With this, Regan and Cornwall decide to gouge out Gloucester's eyes as punishment. And in the scuffle, Cornwall is killed. So, Goneril who is married to the Duke of Albany, begins to fight for Edmund's affections against Regan, while Edgar finds the blinded Gloucester and prevents him from committing suicide before they meet the now-crazed Lear. Cordelia, who had married the King of France and has been exiled to France, sends troops into England from her new home and tries to make amend with her father. After Edmund captures Lear and Cordelia in battle, he sends them to prison to be secretly murdered before Albany, Goneril's husband, declares him a traitor. Uh, An unknown champion appears and slays Edmund, later revealing himself to be Edgar. So Edgar has actually killed his own brother. So Regan is poisoned by Goneril, who is trying to get with Edmund, and then when Edmund is killed, Goneril kills herself... In despair. So, in the end, Lear couldn't save Cordelia in time and drags her lynched body onto the stage, weeping over her before dying of grief. Edgar is left to become king and put together a broken country as the
1: play closes. In studying this play, we always end up coming to the debate Edmund versus Edgar. Like, who's the better brother? Who's more deserving? And it all... Comes down to a couple things, and that was actually what Natalie wrote her essay on. So, I did, you, yeah. You want to talk about that? So, the
0: it, and it's very interesting because, like, yes, we should be talking more about Lear, but Edmund and Edgar is the more interesting subplot. I agree. Wait. It, so the way they act are foils to each other. If you don't know, a foil is, and let me check my paper. It is a character who juxtaposes another character's actions and is meant to be kind of a reflection. And in my essay I define it as someone who is kind of meant to show what could have happened but did not. So, whereas Edmund is the brought down bastard who slowly builds his way to the top, Edgar is someone who is an heir. He is already at the top and is brought down throughout the play. So you have this dynamic of them continually switching places as one advances and one uh, is hurt more and more. And it is very interesting to see their motives. Edmund is very self-centered. Edmund is very much driving for his own purposes. He just wants to be respected and appreciated for what he has done, while Edgar is more motivated out of love for his family and attempting to do right by people. It's kind of sad. Like, Edmund totally manipulates Edgar using what he knows to be his brother's greatest flaw.
1: Yeah, that's sad. I mean, Edgar did fall for it. Uh, Just saying. Because he
0: loved his brother. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I am, like, a huge... I fall for sibling relationships all the time i'm like the best dynamic
1: you're is in love with edgar too. you're in love with edgar i do love edgar
0: i appreciate because you always well, I... go for the underdog i do go for the underdog i am totally an underdog person i mean edgar he literally the moment edmund is like someone tried to kill like someone is plotting to kill our father he's like oh my gosh who could it be like he doesn't even think of the fact that edmund might be betraying him and then later like even though he kills his brother in the end it is also kind of him going against his character but doing it also for the love of his father and the love of his country
1: to bring stability back to england because it's totally against his character to go and kill his own brother but it's also completely within his character to defend his family to defend his country and to try and uphold the goodness and the righteousness of everything so, yeah. It's really interesting how he works both for and against his own agendas in those moments.
0: Yeah. Well, because in the end it is his love of Edmund that makes him kill it, it it is his Edgar's love that makes him kill Edmund because it really it's just uh, I could go on and on. I know. But it's like all of the love that Edgar has tried giving has only brought him more pain. Um he he had love for his father and his father immediately thought that he was a murderer. He had love for Edmund and Edmund manipulated him. He had love for Lear and Lear was driven insane and eventually dies of grief. Like All these people that Edgar has given his love and like support to has always hurt him in the end. So it's kind of like, yes, he still has this love, but it's been so warped and so hurt that it's not like... Fully,
1: it's just, yeah. But I think the card, Edmund has always been dealt bad cards. It even started from his conception as a bastard. So, since the beginning, he's always been given a lot of bad. And it's not like it's always his fault. But he takes it upon himself to pretty much take revenge on the people who have wronged him. And... It's not like that was necessary, but if he felt that was necessary, I'm not necessarily going to argue with that, because if I was in his position, I'd probably do the same.
0: Well, I mean, from the first time we meet Edmund, his father introduced him, he like, hey, did you meet my bastard son? And then he's like, oh,
1: fucking his mother was a good time.
0: Like, if my mom was introducing me to someone and was like, oh, you know, my daughter's a little bitch, I'd be like, what the the hell?
1: Like, I know your your mother, she would never do
0: that. (laughs) She would never do that, but, like, still, like, that is no way, like, I'm trying to make professional connections, I'm trying to
1: meet new people, and you're gonna introduce me like this? You know, his father did him dirty in every, every way, so I understand his idea of just getting back at his dad, but all of this stuff... He does is a little bit unnecessary. And you know what? I get it. It's that whole sibling rivalry. I have a little brother, I get it. But I don't want to justify everything that he does. It wasn't yeah. all great. But I feel
0: like the key thing to Edmund is that he is a sympathetic villain. Yes. Because he is. in his in his first monologue in Act 1, Scene 2, the thou nature art my goddess to thy law, my services are bound. He, like, logically walks through why he's doing everything that he's doing. So he's I feel a, like you could stop and be like, but he's just an evil character. Like, he's just evil. And, like, yes, I do love Edgar Moore, but I have respect for Edmund because he does have logical arguments.
1: He is... I've always loved the bad guys who know what they're doing and have logic behind what they're doing. It's really kind of sexy when you have this bad guy and he has motivations for everything that he does, and they make sense. And that's exactly the case with Edmund. Like, everything that he does, he has a reason for it. It's not just willy-nilly, like, oh, I'm gonna go kill everybody. No, it's very concise. His plan always has a reason for why he's doing that. And I think that is very interesting of him, because not every antagonist does that.
0: Well, I mean, heck, just look at, like, Lear's daughters. And yes, there are some, like, gaps that we're missing, but we don't actually know... Why they hate their father so much. Like, yes, we see, like, the troop thing later on, but, like, in the end, it is, like, Well, I think it's why... maybe
1: because uh, he always gave all of his love to Cordelia, and they just felt unloved by him. That could be pos- I could see that. Because- Because Cordelia
0: is definitely portrayed as the best sister in- the play she's then, the one who comes back to fr- from france yeah. she's the one who and even in one one
1: even in act one scene one when cordelia is like you know what i'm not gonna lie to you and he's like you know what? i'm gonna give you another chance like he's always giving her another chance and always trying to give her more than the other sisters and i think that that's what wounds them it's that he they don't feel like he loves them as much as he loves cordelia he doesn't yeah. show affection like he does to her Mm-hmm. And personally, that would hurt me a lot too. And I don't, I don't want to say that it would make me want to do terrible things to my father. But at the same time, I understand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have a good
0: sister relationship. My sister and I are pretty swell. So I'm like. <laughs> We don't necessarily need to fight for affections. But obviously, they feel like they
1: do. Well, you have a dog. Your your dog gets all the love.
0: Actually, yeah, I have fought for affection with my dog. (sighs) But, I mean, it is one of those situations where Goneril and Regan are not fighting each other. Not until they start to fight over Edmund. Like, they know their place with Lear. It is only, like, their resentment of Cordelia and their resentment of Lear that leads them to be if anything, actually, they're competing with each other to not have Lear stay with them.
1: <laughs> it's like that whole thing when you have family in town and you're like, no, I don't want cousin so-and-so to sleep in my bed with me. No, you take him. No, you take him. No, you take him. It's that whole argument where you don't want the bedwetter in the bed with you. Oh my gosh, what? Have you not seen um, Home Alone? Actually, no, not Okay, watch true. Home Alone, because in the beginning... Well, that was Heaven's my like, project I Christmas, Christmas, but we couldn't...
0: Me. We were always never home when it was on.
1: You know what? You're coming over, and we're watching Home Alone. I don't care that it's June. We're watching Home Alone. No, that's Christmas movie. Fine. Okay. But let's just go back to the siblings, because... You know what? There's a lot of sibling rivalry in this play, and... I think it all comes down to the audience's interpretation of, like, well, who do you think is the better sibling? Who do you think is the badder sibling? Worse? Yeah. That's grammatically correct. <laughs> 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 I, know. I don't. Yeah. And so, in the way that the Cordelia, Regan, Goneril, those sisters, the way that they're portrayed, it always makes them seem... Like, Cordelia is the best sister because she's just so mellow and she goes with everything and she's loved by all and she doesn't pitch a fit and try to sleep with the bad guy. Yeah. And
0: another thing to kind of think about is it's like, yes, there is the whole dynamic with Lear and his children, but then you also have the mirroring dynamic of Gloucester with his children Mm -hmm. and it's like, even though they are mirrored plot lines that intersect and move together throughout it it is kind of like you have more sympathy for one or the other i personally have more sympathy for the gloucester plot line maybe it's because i'm in love with edgar and to a lesser (laughs) extent edmund i will fully admit that i know you will i also think that shakespeare knew what he was doing when he didn't write a death scene in for gloucester and instead had him die off stage like shakespeare knew that people liked gloucester And he was not going to give them the opportunity because he's like, this is King Lear. And I'm like, but it is the
1: Earl of Gloucester play. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's complicated because it really is like three different stories going on at one. And it's all because of these damn siblings and the whole like sibling dynamic of the youngest child being completely overloved and overprotected and just like set free to do whatever they want. That totally plays out here. Like, yeah. As an older sibling, I don't relate to that, but I can kind of see how you being a younger sibling, I can see parallels between you and Cordelia. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm sorry, let's let's look at my dog and Cordelia. <laughs> like Everybody loves your dog. Eddie Boyo. Eddie
1: is, What's like, his, what's his full name?
0: Juan Tomas Pablo Carlos Edso. We call him Eddie for short, Ed Edison Baimer. That is Eddie's full name. We love Eddie.
1: We stan Eddie.
0: He's he's a good man. He's he just learned how to howl. Aww. He is really using that power to his advantage. He's he's like six. Like, if you're usually if you're gonna learn how to howl, like you work on that when you're a puppy, like nope. He is six and he has learned how to howl and he's really enjoying it. He
1: just woo. <laughs> woo. We'll post a picture of Eddie on the Instagram page. Eddie! He's so good. We'll post a video of him howling as well because he's just so good. (laughs) Opera singers who? All I know is Eddie.
0: (laughs) I love my boy.
1: I know you do. But that brings us back to this whole thing about Cordelia because everybody loves Cordelia. And you know, even in the end, everybody's like, oh, you know what? She shouldn't have died. Dad mistake we shouldn't have done everything that we did to her because I just love her so much
0: honestly though I find Cordelia's death
1: it was so sad. heartbreaking it was sad. like
0: and it is off stage again because like that emotional toll is like a lot to have it on stage hurt. but then just seeing Lear's mm-hmm. like he dies of, over grief of her that's yeah just the repetition of like look look at her lips look 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 I'm like oh my little heart, my
1: little heart cannot take it That's anymore. Just like you with your dog, Natalie. I love my boy, just as they love Cordelia. But I think it's really interesting that in having Lear die on stage, as opposed to like how Gloucester dies off stage, or even Cordelia dies off stage, it really brings the whole focus of the play back to Lear and his actions and how he screwed everything up. It starts with him mm-hmm. screwing everything up, and it ends with him leaving everything to Edgar to fix
0: yeah but in that same sense like in the end Edgar is the one with the most power at the end of the play I remember actually when we were reading this in AP literature uh my book someone wrote in the book for Edgar's last monologue in 5.3 and said Whoever has the last line has the most power. So I think it is interesting to see Edgar have the most power by the end of the play when he has been brought down so low. Mm-hmm. Which it is interesting that like the figure of the Gloucester plot line has that much power at the end of the play.
1: Right, and even in the book they talk about this wheel, this cycle of events, how it, you can start good and then fall down to being like stuck, like rock bottom, completely in the bad. And then you can rise back up to the top. And that's exactly what happened with Edgar. Like, he started up at the top. He was living his happy life, just like being Edgar. Good guy. And then the events get set into motion and he falls and he hits rock bottom. He gets the shovel out and digs below rock bottom. He gets that love. He really does. He gets he is... that shovel
0: and starts digging. But then I'm pulling I'm pulling the essay out. I have some of this contextual evidence. He is he tries to preserve himself by quote becoming the basest and most porous shape that ever Pernery and contempt of man brought near to beast, which is seen in- Oh my gosh, I miss, I cited that wrong. Well, anyways, I'm going to cite it correctly here. That is Act 2, Scene 3. <laughs> um, like, he is not just, like, going- Because, like, Edmund was seen as a bastard, so he- but he was- st- a bastard is still, like, a human concept. Animals do not really have bastards. Like- Edgar is going to the point of an animal. Like, this wheel, this cycle, like, he even goes lower than Edmund does to uh, rise back up by the end. Mm-hmm. And eventually, by Act um, 5, Scene 3, when he proclaims himself, and he, at first he says, quote, my name is lost by treason's tooth, bare, non, and canker bit. But when he finally says that his, quote, name is Edgar... And, his, and your father's son, it is him, like, finally naming himself and coming back from that brink of the being an animal and a poor base creature.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of having a name really gives these characters a lot of the power that they have, like, throughout the entire play. It's Edmund trying to become the Earl, and that's a name. So he's trying to become the Earl of Gloucester. And all that work that he does to try and get that position ends up being kind of in vain. as nothing really happens. He ends up dying. But the idea of a name having that much power really is seen in the way that the Gloucester and his sons, like that whole plotline, how that ends up being impacted by the whole story.
0: Yeah. And then it is interesting. And then it is interesting seeing how... Goneril and regan throw these names around when the edmund edgar plot line is so focused on it because when both Goneril and regan are fighting for edmund's attention they'll they throw around well i'll make him a duke i will make him this figure of authority within england but it's like if they're throwing those names around they don't truly understand the importance that it has for Edmund, who has been fighting for a title and a name, and Edgar, who is fighting to get back to his name. Like, they're just like, yeah, sure, I'll make you an earl. I'll make you a duke. I will do whatever the heck I want. It is interesting to see that care about names and identities so thrown into contrast between the two plot lines between the Lear plot
1: line and the Gloucester plot line. I completely agree. I think it's really interesting. And I feel like the whole wheel of fortune cyclical nature really has a greater toll on the Gloucester plot line more than it has on the Lear plot line because specifically with Edmund and Edgar, Edmund starts at the bottom, tries to rise up to the top, but then falls back down to the bottom. And then Edgar starts at the top, falls back down, goes back up. Whereas you don't really see that same kind of dynamic within the Lear sisters. As much as you see with the boys,
0: yeah, it's it's a different cycle it for is. the Lear sisters because it's like it it really is quite odd because for a house, even though there is like a certain element of like the natural order and coming back to peace within England, we see Lear go crazy before coming back to sense when he is reunited with Cordelia, and we see that. Wheel of Fortune of love for Cordelia becoming banishment and hatred coming back to... Oh my gosh, my leg is asleep. Coming back to... <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I just like lifted it and now I'm like, oh crap, I can't feel anything. Back to what I was saying. Um, so you see the love for Cordelia turn into this banishment and bitterness toward her for lying before in act four coming back to that forgiveness and love and that perpetual love that Cordelia has always had but that um kind of need to reaffirm that love that Lear has had because of the betrayal he's felt by his daughter so you see some cyclical nature there but that only takes place in four acts see a rather little than bit. the five
1: I think you see it a little bit with Regan and Goneril just in the sense that they essentially were Not necessarily nothing, but they didn't mean as much as Cordelia meant to Lear in the beginning. And then throughout the play, they work their way up and they become a thorn in their father's side. They become a problem more than anything to him. And then by the end, they're just kind of dead and that problem resolves. So it's not necessarily like their power status, but it's more like the importance that they have within their father's life that becomes cyclical to them. I can see that. I see what you're saying. Because they're the ones that are like, you know what? No, you're not staying in my house. I am taking away your soldiers. You will not do this. No. And then by the end, they're not even speaking to each other. And then they're dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then there's a whole, like, comeuppance for
0: them for, like, arguing and hurting their father. And then they, (laughs) Goneril just wipes everybody out. She's like, okay, I'm gonna poison Regan now and then i am going to watch my hopefully affair die and then i am going to kill myself and it's like that is a that is all you darling
1: like don't give goneril the infinity gauntlet things will not go well
0: <laughs> yeah which and then you kind of get into that argument of like which of the two sisters is more evil like regan or goneril and i don't know, know. cuz regan like
1: full-on gouged someone's eyes out, and I'm like, that's pretty But that feral. was a cute date idea between her and her husband. Like, that was just a date. That wasn't, like, just her being evil. That was cute romance for them.
0: What universe has cute romance <laughs> as, heck yeah, I'm gonna kill somebody. But it is interesting, because Goneril is definitely, like, the quiet plotter. She's the one who sends the letters. She's the one who... Does all that, while Regan is the more vocal of the two in trying to prove herself.
1: I agree. (sighs) Yeah, this play really is kind of insane. Yeah, it goes all over the place.
0: But, and then, with all of this cyclical nature, it kind of just brings up the whole, like, that ever famous phrase that history repeats itself yeah like we see these cyclical natures that happen throughout the play and then you look at our own history and see like the own cycles that are functions of our society and functions of our own
1: lives yeah because we see the way that society perpetuates these bad cycles and it's not like we've gotten any better since whenever king lear took place like if somebody was born into the world and they weren't deemed, like, a perfect individual, they're just constantly beaten down. And it's not very easy to come up from it. Just like we see with Edmund. starts at the bottom, kind of tries to work his way up, but he's at the bottom. He's dead by the end. So, kind of unfortunate. And it's like, there are systemic rules in place
0: right. keeping it that way as well, to, that it enforces history repeating itself. I mean, if you look at the school-to-prison pipeline, that um black students and uh persons of color face when in school like black students are three times more likely to be suspended or expelled but then through that they're also three times more likely to have contact with like a juvenile uh justice system within a year so it's like there are these but with racism and these systemic problems that um happen it's like
1: history is not only repeating itself it is also perpetuating itself but also within the prisons because in america we have a privatized prison system prisons are actually paid to have all of their beds filled and so they actually actively go out and try and arrest as many people as possible to keep those beds filled and even while people specifically people of color while they're in prison they try and do anything to keep them in prison for longer to try and keep to try and meet that quota of however many beds that they need to keep filled in order to keep that revenue coming in because we just live in a world where everything is a corporation and we have these people at the top who get greedy and they want more and more and more more and more money and it's a bad cycle and unfortunately there are many people there are millions of people that are impacted by these perpetuating systems every day and we haven't learned our lessons (laughs) yeah i mean just as goneril and Regan were
0: first fighting cordelia to get power and then fighting each other to secure more power like we see these leadership figures just fighting to cement their own power and their own status more than they're thinking of the people and the
1: people around them. And furthering that idea, just considering how people who have power, they want to keep their power and exert it on people, look at what the U.S. is doing in the Middle East. It's not like what they're doing is completely necessary. Oh my gosh, But yeah. they want to exert their power, and they're, they're essentially just trying to compare dick sizes, but they're doing it with guns. <laughs> and. Well, yeah, and you see, you see that
0: cyclical nature where it's, well, we invade the Middle East to secure peace, but then in attempting to secure peace, we create more chaos. So then we try to secure more peace. And then you get situations like the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, where there are children, millions of children who are malnourished, who are not receiving proper care. It is like, there's a whole population that is potentially going to be wiped out between COVID, between war, between their cholera epidemic and, It's, there are these higher powers that are just trying to continue asserting their power and continuing this cycle of harm and hurt to people who really do not deserve
1: any of it. And between everything, like what we see today and what we've seen in the play, people who have power just continually try to perpetuate their show of their power and gain more through any means necessary. And they don't necessarily care who gets hurt in the process as long as by the end, they come out stronger and even more powerful. Indeed. Well,
0: I say we've dissected a lot today. Yeah,
1: this is our episode on Grandpa
0: King, a.k.a. King Lear. Thank you for listening. And once again, Mr. Branagh, if you are listening, (laughs) just know that I love you, and you are a very, very big hero to the Shakespeare community in Gross point. Thank you.
1: That was Grandpa King. Thank you for listening. We will upload again. Uh, until then, so uh, follow us on Instagram at Midsummer Nights Podcast. It is essentially just me and Natalie posting about whatever we think is necessary for our episodes. We will post uh, a picture of Eddie and a little video of him howling, showing off his vibrato. Woo. He's so cute. Woo. until then thank you you guys for listening and uh gramercy bye gramercy